0: God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here and to see you all here. Today, we are starting part two of our series, Woven in Gospel. Last week, I suggested that John's Gospel was like a spiritual commentary on the other Gospels. We saw that. John referenced things to the other gospels as if people already knew what was in them. And of course, his gospel being written years later, there is this assumption that a lot of people already had the other gospels and had read one or maybe all of them that had been in circulation. And so John is now referencing things that people would automatically know. He just Assumes we would know who Peter is, right? Andrew, Peter's brother. Well, who's Peter? Well, you know from the other Gospels, or the Mary who anointed Jesus's, you know, feet with oil. Well, when did we hear about that? Well, in the other Gospels. So many things that John just lets out are as if we already knew what was taking place, and so. The synoptics, the other three gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, again, synoptics means to see the same are seeing things from a perspective, the perspective as they are there with Jesus trying to figure out what it is he's saying, what it is he's doing. And we know that they didn't fully understand until after the cross and after the resurrection. And so we are with them in that journey wondering, what's this mean? What, why do you speak in parables? All these things. Well, John is writing and he's giving insight into all those things. He's writing from two frame points, the frame point of being there, being one of the disciples, but also of having the hindsight to look back not only on all the things he learned, but even look back on the other gospels and share the things that he wanted to share even though these things were out there. And we talked about how important it is to add to our lives, right? There is never a time where we would stop learning About God, or stop developing our relationship to always be wanting to dig a little bit deeper, find a little bit more out about what we can know and what it is to follow and be a follower of Christ. And so, John's gospel, I believe, is a great way to deal and move us in that direction. So, we're talking about weddings and wine. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about friends and formalities, crossing the street in London, driver's licenses chocolate chip cookies, and a tale of two sons. Okay, you ready? Okay, some of you, some of you, not sure. I'll be ready when the chocolate chip cookies come. Okay, turn to Mark chapter 2. The gospel of Mark chapter 2, we'll go through verses 13 to 22. He, being Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, here we get a a beautiful story of Matthew's, I mean, uh, yeah, Matthew's conversion. Levi is just another name. I don't know why everyone has to have two names, right? But we see Levi is Matthew who was a tax collector. And we see that when he follows Jesus, he brings his friends with him right? He was rejected by the religious community, and he's actually rejected by the Jewish community at large because he's a tax collector, much like tax collectors today, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't have any friends who are tax collectors. Do you? I didn't think so. Well, if you do, good for you, you know, but it's not a popular, you know, vocation. And it was unheard of that a person in that field would be associated with a rabbi. It was unheard of because they were basically thieves. They were taking money from the people to give to Rome, but they were taking more so that they could have for themselves as well. And most tax collectors were pretty well-to-do in comparison With the other people in their society. And after joining Jesus, Matthew's first impulse was to introduce him to his friends. And I think that's wonderful. And I wonder sometimes about us and our relationships and our relationship with Jesus, are we still in that kind of place where I really wanna tell people about Jesus or is it not such a big deal anymore? Is it not so important? For some reason, this was a big deal to Matthew. He wanted his friends to know about it. And you know how it is when you are going somewhere and it's formal, right? It's a business party, uh for your wife or you're going for your husband and you don't know the people there and everyone's a little bit like I don't know you hi you're cordial but there's not the comfortable demeanor that you have when it's with friends When you're with close friends, they come over, you guys hang out, you're wearing your flip-flops, your comfortable clothes, right? You're eating and food's on your face and you don't care. Well, maybe you care, but you laugh about it and it's a a great time because you have this comfort. Having friends brings this sense of comfort and, and that's what we see. He hosts a dinner, right, for people like himself, For people who are in the same profession as he is, people who are ousted just like he was, and he brings them and has a dinner. And this disturbed the religious folk, right? Because we can't have these people getting together with a rabbi who is supposed to represent our religious system. Why would Jesus attend a party with the lowlifes and the sinners? Doesn't he know their reputation? Doesn't he know what they have done to us? Don't, doesn't he realize they're thieves? Is it okay that they're thieves? Why would you eat? Because eating was more than just sitting down and having a meal. It was a sense of community. It was a sense of bonding. It was a sense of identity. And so Jesus is now identifying with these people. And then he explained what he meant, right? He says, it's not the well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And Mark then swings from the feasting to fasting, right? Why were Jesus' disciples not fasting like the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisee? And Jesus answered with an example of people at a wedding. Fasting is an expression of grief and appropriate at, say, a funeral, but not appropriate at a wedding. And this was not the time for Jesus' disciples to be sad. In his analogy here, Jesus is the bridegroom who brings joy to the party. Now, throughout the Gospels, the idea of a bridegroom is woven throughout, and that's what we're going to be looking at in a large sense. It's used throughout the Gospels in reference to a rite of passage that celebrates the union of two lives, whether it's the husband and wife, and here it's Jesus and those who He is with and Jesus made two other statements regarding why his disciples did not fast Mark 2 verses 21 to 22 no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old dark garment if he does the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made and no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. Now, notice that earlier Jesus had explained what he meant by those who are well do not need a physician. But here there is no explanation. He doesn't say what he means. And in their mind, they're thinking, well, everyone knows that, except for me. I didn't know that. I wouldn't know to not put new cloth on an old garment. I would think, why not? It would be newer, right? But apparently, in the seamstress industry, you know, if you put something new that is unshrunk on something that is old that is pre-shrunk, when the new one shrinks, it will tear away. And if you put new wine that hasn't fermented yet that process of fermentation will expand the wine so much that it'll burst the wine skin if the wine skin isn't able to grow with it. If it's old wine skin and it's rigid, because I guess that's what old wine skins do. I don't know. I haven't had wine in a wine skin in a while, right? But apparently this is something that everyone would look and say, oh, yeah, of course, obviously, right? It's like when you're crossing the street, you know to look both ways when I was in London I was told you need to be careful crossing the street because most of the time we look to the left but in London the cars come from the right right and so if you're crossing the street and you're all clear boom right you have to be careful and everyone in London knows that but I'm an American And so here is something that everybody knows, right? Everybody knows that. But like many of Jesus' parables, the meaning would not be immediately clear. It's not about the cloth. It's not about the wine or the wineskin. It's about something more. And it's sort of a riddle that needs to be figured out. Turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan, a Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there's something interesting I want to point out here as we're going through this. Throughout John's gospel, Mary is never mentioned. She is referred to as the mother of Jesus. Also, John is never mentioned. He is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. All the other disciples are mentioned. All the other people are mentioned. Just Mary and John are, are kind of anonymous and hidden. And I just think it's interesting because one of the times where both of them are together and we see them referred to but without name is at the cross when Jesus looks at John and he says, behold, your mother. And he looks to Mary and he says, woman, behold, your son. And we know that John is given the task of entrusting and caring for Mary. And so John and Mary are probably together after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. And John is probably caring for Mary financially because that's usually how it worked in that society. And I wonder, this is just thinking, right? I wonder if John writing and he says, I want to tell this story. Is it okay if I tell that story? I can see her. Yeah, but don't use my name. Right, And he goes, well, yeah, and they, are, I could see them just saying, yeah, we don't want our name to be mentioned in this story. Why? Because it's not about us. It's really about Jesus, because why would everyone else be mentioned but not these two? And I just think it's interesting that that's happening. Anyway, verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, everyone serves the good wine first and when people have well drunk freely then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now this was his this the first of his signs jesus did at cana in galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him now mary decides at this time to put Jesus to the test. Running out of wine is a disgrace. It would be a dishonor to that family name. They, they would be thought of in such low regard. And so whoever these people were to Mary, she felt bad for them. And so she goes to Jesus. And I don't know what she was expecting him to do right? You brought your buddies here. They drank all the wine. You know, maybe you can, you know, Matthew and his friends, they know where to get wine, okay? So maybe you can have them go, I don't know what she was thinking, but she tells Jesus they've run out of wine, right? And she assumes that one way or another, he could do something to save the day. And she, like some moms, did not realize that she was overstepping her bounds. Because Jesus says, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What does that mean, right? Once Jesus begins his ministry, there is a change in the dynamic and the relationship between he and his family and that of his mother. We see that in Mark chapter three verses 31 through 35, where they're calling out to him. And they say, your mother's here. And he says, who's my brother? Who's my brothers? These who do the will of God, they are my family. Right? There is a change that's taking place where Jesus is focusing now on what he is here to do. Right? It's much like you know when your kids finally get their driver's license and you no longer have to drive them anywhere. And then you see them go off with the car it's like oh god (laughs) you know help them you know help me it's now they're moving out they're taking these steps they're moving out on their own jesus is stepping out into ministry and it's changing the dynamic because now he's going to be about other things and when he says woman what does that have to do with me? It's really hard for us to translate that in our language. He's not demeaning her in any way. He just says, I've got things that I'm supposed to be doing. But she still says, whatever he says, do. When he refers to his hour, it is his hour to take the stage, it is his hour to be seen and to be recognized. He would say this again in John chapter 7, John chapter 12, and later in John chapter 17, Father, glorify me with the glory that you had from the beginning. The hour has come, and he's speaking really of his crucifixion and also his resurrection. The hour is when he would be seen and recognized, but not as what people thought, but as he was the Messiah. And it's important that we read this story with the one that follows after it. Because John isn't just telling about this story, the first of Jesus' signs, he's connecting it to another story. After this, Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the Passover. And I'm not going to read the whole thing just for time's sake. But what's interesting is we know the story. He goes, he sees the merchandise. He sees people are making money. And he throws the tables over and he makes a cord and he whips out the the money changers. And he says, you know, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And he kicks everyone out. And he makes this commotion. And after he clears the temple out, there's the questioning. Now, that story in the synoptic gospels takes place at the end when Jesus is in Jerusalem and it's really close to him being arrested, here John puts it at the beginning. And it's because John isn't interested in chronology. He is interested in meaning. And he's tying these stories together to help us get a little bit of insight to what is happening. He's setting a foundation that is going to be able to bring a revelation of what's going on. Years ago, when my daughter was first learning how to bake, she baked some chocolate chip cookies for a friend of ours that came, but she didn't use sugar, she used salt. They were interesting. Yeah, you couldn't eat but a couple of bites, and it was like, whoa, what is this? Now, she's since learned that that's not what you do, and she's learned from her ways and her mistakes, right? You see, sugar is a foundation of chocolate chip cookies. Without sugar, you don't have the real thing. I know there's substitutes, but real cookies need sugar. That's just how it is, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> It's part of the ingredients. It's part of what's necessary. In the synoptics, Jesus is asked when he clears out the temple, by what authority do you do this? In John's gospel, in verse 18, it says, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Now, the challenge is similar, right? They're wanting to know, what's your credentials? How come you think you can do this? But asking in a different way requires a different answer. Now, remember, John is giving us insight into what was previously written. He's trying to make us maybe a little bit more aware of what's taking place. Jesus gave them one of his typical answers, right? Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up, verse 19. And they say, it's taken 46 years to build a temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days. And in verse 21, Jesus says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. What spiritual meaning is hidden in the synoptics that John wants to provide in his gospel for this encounter. You see, they're asking for a sign. The marriage feast, it was the first of his signs. There is a difference between a miracle and a sign. The other gospels talk about the miracles of Jesus, and John talks about signs, A miracle is something that's spectacular, and a sign definitely can be miraculous, but a sign is pointing to something more. A a sign says something. It points to something else. I wonder how often we're wanting the miraculous. We're wanting something to take place, and God is wanting to... Point us to more. Right? I, we want sensational and God wants substance. We want the miraculous and God wants change. And we're asking, God, I want you to do this. God, can you do this? Can you bring me this job? Can you bring me this person? Can you do this for me? Can you do something miraculous, God, so I can believe in you and I can have that faith in you? And what God is trying to do isn't give you something. He's trying to give you character, not something else. And I wonder if we want change of circumstances and God wants change of heart. God, can you change these circumstances? And God says, can we change what's happening? You see, the circumstances that I changed are to point to something else. Why did Jesus tell all these people he healed? Don't tell anybody. Because the miracle would take away from the sign. They would look for the miracle and miss who he was and what his intention was. They would just want more food. They would want more healings. They would want more miraculous. And Jesus wasn't here to just do the miraculous. He was here to bring change. And I wonder sometimes that we don't see the sign that is pointing us to the direction that God is wanting us to go in because we're looking for the miraculous. I mean, there's so many people I I know, friends and family, who are all about God doing miraculous things. Oh, isn't it wonderful God did this? Isn't it wonderful God did this? And I'm like, that's great, but you're still not grateful. You know, one of the biggest things I have a hard time with is gratitude. Gratitude being grateful for the things I have, being grateful for a God who loves me, who's given himself for me, being grateful that God speaks to me and and ministers to me and works within my heart. That's an amazing thing that I can take for granted because I want the miraculous. I want something special. And I make what is special ordinary. Why did Jesus play down the miracles? Because they could get in the way of the sign. Are we asking for the miraculous or are we looking for the signs? And what God is leading us in, taking us to, doing in us right here, right now. What is the sign? Pointing to. In chapter 6, people ask Jesus for a sign comparable to Moses. Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. Now, this is after he's fed the 5,000, and Jesus says that he is the bread that comes down from heaven. There is a similar comparison with Moses here in the wedding at Cana. Moses turned water into blood. Jesus turns water into blood into wine. John says in chapter 1, verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And this is in contrast to what Moses has done. Jesus is doing this. Grace and truth. Remember, truth isn't just the way we think. It is living the right way. John refers this Turning of water into wine as the first sign that through it he manifested his glory. You see, turning water into wine, we might think, wow, man, he just made hundreds of gallons of wine. The disciples, those servants, are saying, there's only been one other time where water was changed. That was with Moses to blood. He changed it to wine. What is going on here? It's pointing to something that God is doing. And it's not the law. It is the grace and truth that God is demonstrating through Christ. And as a result, the disciples believed in him. The sign pointed to who Jesus was but with specific purpose of inspiring their faith and trust in him. In fact, John later on at the end of his gospel, he would say, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole point of all the miraculous things was to point to Jesus so that we could have life in his name. John wants to make sure that we see the intent of all that Jesus did, that as remarkable as the miracles were, that they were signs pointing us to have faith and trust in who he was, And when we do this, we find God's life in his name. Now, his name isn't just Jesus. His name is his person. It is all of who he is. It means more than just the letters that make up a person's name. But it's pointing us to the person of Christ, who he is. All these things were helping us to see that God is with us through him and doing something new. Which brings us back to the patch on the clothes and the new wine and the wineskins. John puts these two stories together, the wedding in Cana and the clearing out the temple, to show us that what was happening is that God was at work And where he wasn't at work. You see, God's work was not going on in that current religious system. God's work was not taking place in the temple. Was not taking place in the sacrifices. Not in the paradigms or the practices of the religious people. And not even in the disciples of John. Those were old patches. Those were old wineskins. God was doing something new through the person of Jesus. God's work was going on in everyday places and events, in places like weddings and parties, like the one in Matthew's home. God's work was going on among sinners but it wasn't happening in places that were controlled by the religious rule makers or those who were in power. What God was doing would not be contained by men. You know, I have four children, and those of you who have children, you know you love them all, all right? You, you don't love one more than the other, except sometimes when one's giving you a hard time, right? But not Really? And I'm proud of all my kids. You know, my daughter's a nurse, works in the ER. I'm proud of her. One of my sons was in the military, so proud of him and all they're doing. But I have two sons that have had different journeys. One of my sons works at a church. And he's doing amazing things. He's traveling the world, starting different campuses for these churches, right? He was in uh, the Philippines a couple of months ago. He was in Costa Rica a few weeks ago. And he's like starting up these churches or helping to get these churches starting. Uh, Went to his church yesterday and they dedicated my grandson and he shared some things and it was beautiful and it was powerful and i'm so proud of him seeing there i'm up on stage and just like oh man look at you right and i'm telling you about it because i'm proud of him right my other son has taken a different road and he does not speak on stages at churches but he speaks in front of aa groups on a regular basis and he attends regular basis. And for him, that is his church and that place that helps him to stay where he needs to be. And he has helped a number of people get off of the addictions that they're in and the struggles that they have and the things that they're going through. I can't tell you how proud I am of him and the battles that he's had to go through the mental health issues, and the things he fights with. It's a whole other kind of proud. You see, God isn't just here. He's here too. And this new wine and this new wineskin, it shows up where we are, right here, right now. It shows up in the mess of our lives in the struggles that we go through, that's where this new wine, that's where this sign is being found. That's where Jesus is being revealed. Jesus' ministry was not a new patch on an old garment. Jesus is not only clearing out the temple, he's replacing it. He's now making us The temple. Jesus' ministry is the new wine. The old institution could not accommodate it. Everything Jesus did was new. Everything he did was God doing it. We've seen the synoptics analogies of weddings and bridegrooms. There's an instance of the bridegroom in John's gospel in chapter 2. John the Baptist says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bridegroom, bride is the bridegroom. The friend, which is John, of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. What is this complete joy? What is this joy that John is wanting to relay? The radical nature of Jesus's ministry brings complete joy. When they filled the water pots, they filled them to the brim. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy isn't happiness, it's deeper. It finds place within us and lodges there. It is not found in a belief or religious system. It is found in a person, the person. It is found in his name. And here's the important truth that John wants to make clear at the beginning of his gospel. It is found right where you are. You don't have to go somewhere to find out What God wants for you, God is coming right to you, to the Matthews, to the weddings without wine, to the places that no one thought God would be. He shows up there and he fills the pot to the brim. And this is gospel. This is good news. It's found right where you are, not in the temple, not in the fast but at the sinner's table. Like the servants in the wedding of Cana, watching this, what do we do with this sign? What do we do with this news? What do we do with this Jesus? The mother of Jesus's words come back to us. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you let's pray Lord the question now is what are you telling us Father that answer is as varied as the people that are here and the things that we are all going through the good news that you are at our table telling us that you are at our feast speaking to us and filling us. And what we need is what the disciples found even at that first sign is faith in you, the willingness to say, okay, you are more. You are more than Moses. You are more than what we thought. You are more than what we were looking for. You are more than what we even need. And so, God, we come to you in our need, and and you know those needs that are here. Father, you know the needs emotionally. Some of us are just broken because of the weight of the world and the hardships that we are in the middle of. You know our needs financially and the struggles we're having to make ends meet. You know our needs physically, the things we are going through and the hardships that are there. Lord, all these areas, you are aware of it. And God, what we want is not just the miraculous. What we want is a sign. What do you want us to do? To do anything, though, we have to first have faith in you. And I pray, God, that that would be where we can start here. It's where John starts. This something new is taking place that we can have faith in, that we can trust in. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus, the Christ. So I pray this morning that we, wherever we are, would look to who you are. And put our faith in the one who cares, the one who loves, the one who shows up in our struggle and at our table. And may we hear your voice and do what you tell us to do. Lord, maybe you're telling us to quit worrying. Maybe you're telling us to quit fighting. Maybe you're telling us to make a change. And how we're living. Whatever you tell us. May we do it. So that our joy. May be full. Lord we do ask this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you put your faith in Jesus Christ the son of God. And believing in him find life in his name. And may you sit at his table and invite your friends. Let them know that they too are welcome here. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. God bless you guys. See you later. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings.